Sean Gatton. I'm the lead pastor at Trailside Church. Thanks for stopping by. I hope that by the end of this message, you feel encouraged, that you feel closer to Christ than you ever did before, and that through its message, you will want to be more like Jesus every single day. Enjoy the message, and thanks for stopping by. major hurricanes in that time. To come, I fear that the whole country will reap the whirlwind. FBI Director Christopher Wray said his agents are investigating about a thousand homegrown terror threats. Because the idea that you could come to church and 
hear about hope and hear about the gospel and how good God is, it's hard to see when the world is seemingly falling apart around you. So how do you reach a world without hope? A world where I think we're defined more by tribalism than anything else nowadays? Where it's my crew against your crew, and if you don't think the way I do, you're wrong, and we hate each other? There's no communication anymore? I actually had to get, I had to get off of Twitter outside of Sunday when I'm yelling about the Browns losing. Because it's so vile and mean. Because we hide behind things. And so when you don't see people's faces and you can't see their eyes and them speaking and hear their heart and hear tone, we've just become enemies and we'll say anything. The depth of the, the depravity of our heart comes out. And it's beginning to take this thing that we call hope and eliminate it and remove it. And what that does is it trickles down into our everyday and into our hearts and how we treat each other and how we drive and how we eat. And all of these things are falling apart now because we've lost the anchor of hope on the front end. But here's the good news about the gospel and why it's so good to be here and in God's presence is that the only place you don't have to manufacture hope is, is through Jesus. I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a, I'm not a Christian. I'm not a believer. I'm, I'm not any of those things because I think it's really super fun. All right? Like if, listen, if you've signed up for the Christian faith and you're like, I'm going to follow Jesus because it sounds fun, you should stop watching televangelists on TV. Because <laughs> it's, not, it's, it's not easy. It, it doesn't make relationships. I've said this before. My, one of my favorite things to do is to go hang out at people's parties and get-togethers and let them talk for a little while. And they go, so what do you do? And I'm like, oh, I'm a pastor. I'm like, oh. And then they disappear, and I never see them again. <laughs> well, that was a fun four minutes while it lasted. They're gone now. They never want to see me. And they, you know, you kind of walk in. I was like, hey. Like, oh. It's not easy. It's not easy to be a believer. It's not easy to follow Jesus. It's not easy. But it's the one place where we don't have to manufacture hope. Where hope is naturally given by relationship. Even if, you know, it's easy to run. Because the hope that we have in Christ is hope for comfort and trial, for, for trust in, in the fight. When you're in the fight of your life and you feel like you can just have nothing left. Or purpose. In the grind. Anybody feel like they're just in the grind lately? Like you're just waking up, eating the same breakfast, going, doing the same thing, doing your job, come home, cook the same sandwich for your kids, then go to bed after watching the same Netflix. Maybe that's just me. I've seen The Office like 17 times. It's not healthy. Yeah, that's why we have Michael Scott quotes. It's just because I like it so much. It's, it's the one thing where I do what I want from the pastor, so take that. No, but... But purpose in the grind as well. I think that's where we get stuck. Right? Because it, it is comfortable to be in the grind, to do the same thing, to push. But it's immensely boring. And when you're in the grind of the everyday being the same, we tend to lose that purpose as well. Because we get tired and it's repetitive and it's just kind of the same thing over and over. And we go, all right, God. Like, or outside of that even, let's say. Without God, it's just kind of another day of existence. And I can't think of a harder place to be than to think every single day you're doing the same thing over and over and your whole purpose is just to exist. And that's tough. But that's why we're doing this, while we're going through Jonah, while we're talking through what it looks like to get called to something that's hard and that's bigger than you and it might not fit well, but that is hope, but that has purpose. And so 
<coughs> a lot of you guys have heard the story of Jonah, right? Has anyone heard heard about Jonah before, maybe? Six of us went to Sunday school, awesome. Yeah. Yeah, actually my, my son has this little kid Bible that he got when he was, I think, two. And it's got pictures with the big, you know, the whale swallows Jonah, and he's like celebrating with a candle inside the fish. He's like, then he gets deposited onto the beach, and he goes and does exactly what God wants. It's like, be like Jonah, right? No. No, like, maybe it's just me. I, I don't enjoy the thought of rotting away inside the belly of a big fish. Anyone else out there? I, I don't even like to go in the lake because I can't see what's under me. I'm, I'm that guy. I get a little nervous. And, you know, you feel like maybe a little fish or a speck of seaweed goes by, and I act like I just walked through a spider web. Right, I, I freak out and scream. It's not, it's not manly. Can you don't go to the lake with me? You'll never look at me the same. But, but that's what Jonah is. So Jonah is this guy, this prophet, not a missionary, a prophet, who has a distinct call from God, and he ends up, as we said, getting swallowed into the belly of a big fish. And, and the, the theme of this is so crazy that people actually said that Jonah, the story of Jonah, was a fiction. An allegory. But here's what's crazy. There's actually two moments in Scripture that it speaks of Jonah as a historical, real person. And the great thing is it's Old Testament and New Testament. So in 2 Kings 14, there was this guy named Jeroboam II. Right? He was a king. He was pretty tough. And he actually speaks about Jonah. So we know about 790 to 753 or so B.C. was this lifetime of this guy named Jonah. He really honestly existed. He is historical, in fact. Much like people say with Jesus. Well, they try to prove Jesus wrong, but there's a historical account outside of the Bible even that Jesus was a real, honest human being, a great teacher. This guy named Josephus wrote history of all of Israel. And he actually has in his books his historical uh, recording of this guy named Jesus, who was a political figure who had a big uprising and led many people out of the Roman life. And it's like, now that we have the whole Bible, we can read that and be like, yeah, we're well, no, kind of aware of that, right? But that's the same thing with Jonah. Actually, Jesus speaks about Jonah in Matthew 12. That he was an honest, real, historical person. And so if that's true, then we have to give some maybe teeth to this story. We can't just pass it off. But the interesting thing about Jonah is this. I said that so fast, I mumbled the whole thing. The interesting thing about Jonah is this. <coughs> Jonah is a prophet. He hears clearly from God. And in fact, in the first couple verses, let's just go ahead and go to Jonah 1. 1-1. One, one. This is how the book starts. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So it, it starts out, the account of Jonah starts out with, Now the word of the Lord had come to Jonah. And God speaks. God gives him a word, gives him a purpose, gives him something that he has to grab onto. And this is a great question I get from people, right? People ask, like, well, can you hear from God? And then I like to mess with them. I'm like, yes, audibly every day. Like, oh, just kidding. It's not real. And if that's you, we love you and want to help you. <laughs> See Chris after service. Yeah. He got the joke there. Thanks. I'm going to do it. No, I'm just kidding. 
It says this, Jonah, Jonah hears from the God, he hears the word, and the Lord speaks to him and gives him purpose. And I get a lot of questions from people that say, well, hey, so does that mean it's, it's over? Like when the Old Testament stopped, when Jesus came, that we don't hear from God anymore? No, uh, absolutely not. In fact, I, I would share with you that God actually enjoys communication with us and hearing from us as we pray and seek him, that he speaks to us through his word and through his people. You ever had somebody in your life come up to you and say like, Hey, man, I just feel like you're supposed to know this and tell you something crazy that they shouldn't have known. Anyone had that happen before? I've mentioned I have this guy in my life named David. He's going to watch this. So, hey, David. And, and I, I talk about this guy because it just it doesn't make sense. Like, this guy will call me out of the blue. Be like, hey, I was praying for you, and um, I don't know why I'm supposed to tell you this, but, like, I really feel like God wants me to tell you that uh, you need to chill out, take the next day off, and just seek him because you're being an idiot. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. But hey, um, you need to stop worrying about blah, 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 because whatever that is is going to kill you. And I'm like, I just was crying, like, on my knees like a baby, worrying about that situation. And now I'll tell him, I'm like, you're weird. Stop calling me. <laughs> but I love you. Because he just, it just like, it's like God just speaks to him. It's crazy. He just does things and says things and has no filter, no concern, right? Because his, his life, man, his heart is so close. And when he seeks, and when he hears, and he prays, and he reads, and I just, I don't know if anybody like him. I, I want to be like him when I grow up. That's kind of my goal. But that's what happens. So, so Jonah hears from God, and I would say this. If you're wondering if God communicates and speaks to you, I would say absolutely. We, we see it all throughout the Bible. We see it um, with Joseph, right, back in Genesis. And it's got Pharaoh who, you know, could kill you immediately. Kind of like Hillary Clinton. No, I'm just kidding. It's good. Easy. 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 Just trying to see if there's life here, guys. No. Walks into Pharaoh. Pharaoh's having these dreams. Right? He's the boss of everything. He will cut you down for looking at him sideways. Or if he thinks you look at him sideways. And he walks in and he says, hey... I have these dreams that they're annoying me. I can't stop. Please tell me what they mean. And these other guys have come to Pharaoh like, oh, it means great stuff. And like, oh, you're going to have tons of money. And uh, you're going to be this great king. And everyone will marvel how great you are. You'll live out in history forever. And here comes Joseph. He's like, hey, here's what it means. Uh, you're going to have seven years of good and then seven years of absolute famine where everything is going to fail and you're going to lose everything. Oh, and then you're going to die. Well, that doesn't fit. That, that's the bit in the narrative that we see today, right? How many times do you turn on TV or see people who write lots of books? Like, hey, God wants the best for you today. If you're not living your full, if, if your checkbook isn't as healthy as your heart and your lifestyle, then you don't have enough faith. Yeah, have y'all heard this before? Then I read stories like Joseph in the Old Testament. I'm like, Joseph had to go to a king and say, hey, in seven years, you're going to be worthless. Everything is going to fall apart. Or you read the story of Job, where Satan has demanded that he is able to destroy everything that Job loves. Or Jesus, when he's talking to Peter at the table, and he says, Satan has demanded that I give you over so you can be sifted like wheat. You guys ever seen a sifter? So my mom cooks from scratch all the time and makes me feel very um, silly because I don't understand anything that happens. I just throw things together and this pie comes out. And you're like, wow, all right, that was amazing. I want to know this is called a microwave, but um, 
I, I remember when I was a kid, I was I think making or help make cookies or something, and there was this weird contraption. It was silver and had a net and this big hoop in it, right, and a little dial on the side. I didn't know what that was, so I remember thinking, like, Mom, what is that thing? And she goes, it's a sifter. I said, a sifter. She goes, yeah, look. We're going to pour some flour in here, and then you're going to do this, and it's going to grind it down and make it really fine. I was like, well, that seems silly, because flour already sticks to everything. And it was amazing what it did. It took what was already small and almost finite and destroyed it further and mushed it and crushed it. And you just, and you just did this, and you know, for a little while, you're like, this is fun. And about 10 seconds later, you're like, I'm really tired. I don't want to do this anymore. But I want cookies. So and I remember like sifting, 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 and watching this huge pile of flour turn into this little pile of these tiny, almost sugar-like fibers, and thinking, we had taken something so small and destroyed it and, and crushed it and pushed it through this netting with force and power and taken it and torn it apart at its most finite place and made it smaller and even more effective. And that's, that's what Jesus says, like, I have a word for you. Here's what's happening. Satan wants to sift you, wants to destroy you, push you down, and just tear every bit of who you are out. And that's a little scary. And then we see things like Jonah, when God speaks to Jonah and says, go, go to Nineveh. And, and I love what he says in the second verse, right? It's not just go to Nineveh and be like, hey, live among the people, learn the culture and the language, eat some food, hold a Bible study. No, what, is, what, is, what does God say here? Go to Nineveh and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So Jonah's job, what God speaks to him, is to go into a new city and start calling out the evil in it. Anybody want to sign up for that venture? Anyone? Are we excited about that? No. I don't even like to accidentally cut people off in traffic. So I'm like, I don't want that guy mad at me. And, and God's word comes to Jonah and says, I want you to go into this new city and call out the evil of the city. Well, that doesn't fit with living my best day today. Right? Like, where, where's the goodness of dependence there? You're just giving me a death sentence. And so when people say, do you hear God speak? I'm like, well, with a lot of fear. <laughs> if, if I feel like the Lord is speaking to me, and I don't hear him audibly, that's weird. If that's you, we can talk, but that's not what I'm saying. But if I'm praying or I'm reading or, or I talk to others who love me and, and I hear these things, I'm like, I feel like I'm supposed to go do this. And I, and I say things like, I feel like God is leading me. That's, a, that's kind of a, a scary place for me. Like, pulling the God card is not what you do when you just want to break up with your girlfriend, okay? See that too often. Well, I just feel like the Lord is leading us. No, you just don't like them and they smell bad. Break up with them. <laughs> Stop telling them it's God's will. Just, just say that you don't like them. It's okay. Right? Like, if you put God's name on something, you better believe and know 100% that's what's happening. And I've felt that way a few times in my life. The first one was to marry my wife. I felt like God was like, this, like you better nail this one down while you can, because if she runs, there's nothing else for you. Right? When I, when I started ministry school, when I went down to be a pastor, um, when we were dying for a son and God spoke to us in this weird dream and it's crazy and I need to tell the whole story sometime. 
And then when we were moving back from Charleston and Greenville, we felt strong like the Lord was leading us in that. And we prayed and prayed and prayed and begged and prayed and prayed. And then we asked my mom, who said, yes, that's absolutely the will of the Lord is to move back home. Right? <laughs> Y'all's moms, you guys with me, you know, you, that's how moms are. And the last time was to plan this, to begin this. We felt like it was this call and this purpose God had put in us that I could not. I tried and we tried and we tried to push and say, no, we tried to slam doors ahead of it. You guys ever done that? Like, you know, you're supposed to do something. You're like, well, I'm just going to butcher this thing as fast as possible so that I have no way out. Right. You guys ever done that before? I'm going to burn this bridge before I get to the bridge. That way I don't have to cross it. That's what we did for probably five months when this whole church plan thing started. Because we knew that like, the Lord is calling us to this. And so what we did was we prayed. We prayed for clarity. We, we prayed for trust. Because we need to know that it was from God. And so here's what Jonah does. He knows. He hears it. And let's keep reading in Jonah 1, starting in verse 2. So it says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish, from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with him to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So how many times have you sat and prayed like, God, please, please speak to me. Please lead me. Please help me understand. Please, if you're real, like, let's just be honest, right? Like, if you're real, show me. Prove to me that you care. It's a very honest prayer. We don't talk about that enough in church because we try to make it real pretty, right? We try to act like, oh, I'm at church because I love Jesus and he just pointed me here and man, my heart's full. But sometimes you walk in church like, I'm, I'm kind of ticked off at God. I, I, don't, I didn't trust him. I don't believe him. And you come because you're giving him one more chance. You're like, this is it. God doesn't show up when we put our parameters on. God doesn't show up today. I'm out. Proof that God doesn't love me. And here's Jonah doing the opposite of that, getting clarity and exact notification on his little phone, like, boop, from God, go to Nineveh, right? And let me show you, can you put the map up there for me? We didn't get it. Okay, that's all right. We'll survive. So God says to go here, and it's like 200 miles away. And Jonah not only says no, but goes 2,500 miles the other way. Like literally, God says, you're here, go that way, here we go. Yeah, so this is where Jonah is, right here. God says, go here, and Jonah says no, and he goes all the way out here. <laughs> but not only does Jonah say no to what God asked him to do, he literally turns around and runs the other way. <laughs> Flees God, right? And then he gets to the ship, and not only does he get on the ship, but he goes and hides in the belly of the ship. Almost like, well, if I'm down here, like God's word can't transmit that far through the dock, I'll be okay, right? It even says he's fleeing from God's presence. Running from his call. Getting all the way, as far away as possible. Because he's scared. Pardon me, I'm having sinus here. But here's what's crazy about this. Nineveh wasn't that horrific of a place. I know it's evil, it was full of sin, absolutely. But in this time of Jeroboam, it actually wasn't that strong. 
It had been decades since it was controlled by the Assyrians and Phoenicians. It, it was not a place that was necessarily anti-God. or anti It was just a city of evil. A typical place. But here's the craziest part. After the life of Jonah, Nineveh would soon rise to power. So God, while Nineveh is down, God sends Jonah into the city to change it, to speak truth and hope into it. So that as it rises, it would rise as a city of believers, not as a city of evil. And that's why God tells Jonah in this moment, as an adult in the 760, 770 BC range, to go into the city because it once was great, it's now gone down, and it is about to rise up again. And so God's plan for this city is to send Jonah to go into it, to change it, so that as it rises, it would be a city that rises with the Lord's blessing and goodness to further his plan instead of continuing its evil to rise against it and be strong as a nation which would screw up Israel in the future. This is God's plan of hope, not a condemnation. And as the city is torn down, God sends Jonah to it. So as it comes up, it will be a city of hope. So as it rises in strength and number and power, it will be a city of believers and of hope and of God's people instead of evil. But Jonah says no. And he flees and he runs. He literally goes the opposite way. As, as we saw, 2,500 miles, 10 times the distance in the belly of a ship to get away from God's call. He hides himself or attempts to. Because for him, it's better in his mind, in that fear, to be in the belly of a ship away from the call and promise of God than it is to be exactly where God has him. And church, this is why, because Jonah is living in fear of man. Jonah is living in fear of the people of the city. He's not living in fear of the Lord at all. It's the opposite. Because he knows the people are there. The city's not going anywhere. So he can see this physical place that he doesn't want to be a part of. And yet he runs because he can flee the presence of God instead. That's his mindset, his heart. And my goodness, y'all, listen. This is, maybe this is just me trying to make it something it's not. But when I think of a city that is beginning to grow and come to power and authority, and God's sending people into it so that they're established as the city grows. That screams Traveler's Rest to me. That screams Northern Greenville to me. If you don't know, this city is exploding. They're in the midst of 1,200 new homes being built this year. 1,200. 1,200. It's going to be a 30% rise in population. And it is hard. It's hard to get in and to break the ground. It's hard to get in and tear it apart so it's ready to be fertilized and planted and grow. But the call of Jonah in this moment and his response is the same response that we have as a church and our people. That as God is beginning to rise a city up, he wants people here to begin establishing a place for him. So as they grow, the influence of the city grows for God's good instead of evil. That's why we're here. 
That's why we come and set up and believe in this place so much, because that is what the Lord is doing. And I'm not trying to make Jonah equal traveler's rest and Nineveh and all that. I'm not, I'm not saying this is a city of evil. Please don't hear that. What I am saying is that God purposely places people in certain situations so that as these things grow and happen, that he has a place for people to run. Instead of running away, they can run to. And this is a place that's growing, that's <coughs> rising. So, getting back. <clears throat> Verse 3, but he rose to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So Tarshish in this moment, actually, uh, it, it, there's two uses. One is symbolic and one is, is just the honest on the map, right? So we saw on the map where it's the total opposite way. But the interesting thing was uh, in these moments where Tarshish would have actually been seen kind of um, uh, as a, I uh, can't think of the word, my vocabulary's on, I'm sorry. I got too much sleep last night. Uh, as, as a picture of us going as far west as possible. So as far as the known world was for Jonah, Tarshish was all the way far away. So it's literally him running as far as he possibly can. And if you go back and say in Hebrew, when it says that he happened upon a ship and he paid a fare, if you go say the Hebrew, actually what that word that they use there means is to hire the entire help. So a lot of scholars actually think that Jonah spent almost all that he had in order to hire out this ship of people. So Jonah, running from the Lord, takes probably everything he has or a lot of what he has, right? Because I don't know if you know this, but prophets aren't highly paid people, right? <laughs> Unless they have a cake, then you know they're real real, but... Yeah, so he probably takes almost all of what he has, sells it, hires out this ship so he can command it and send it where he wants, runs all the way across, and then God happens. Verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them, meaning all the things they had brought, food, all the things they needed, everything to sell, got rid of it all. But Jonah had gone into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. Well, that's interesting. There's a story in Matthew 4 about Jesus doing that. So the captain came to him and said, What do you mean? Or I'm sorry, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise and call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. So this storm rises up, and it's so bad that literally a sea, a, a ship of mariners, people who they know the sea, they know everything about it, their job, their life is to be on that water. They're so scared that they start freaking out, throw everything off, and are crying out to all their multitude of gods. And Jonah's asleep downstairs. Totally unaware. And isn't it interesting that the very thing that all of the men on top are scared of is the very thing that God or that Jonah's running from. It's, it's the very thing that Jonah knows can fix this entire process for him. Because Jonah's line thus far is very clear. He was born, um, he operates in the presence of the Lord, he receives a call that isn't very comfortable, he runs from the call, and now he's in the bottom of a ship that's about to fall apart and be broken into pieces. Anybody felt like that before? 
You ever feel like you did everything right? And you're walking like, and you're like, I'm going to keep going. I'm, I'm, I'm the grind. I'm in the grind. I'm not going to give up. And everything's falling apart. And you're going, all right, God, I give up. I'm done. One last chance. One last opportunity. This is where Jonah is at that point. It's not even that he's well-rested and he's trusting that God is going to get him out. It's that he has resigned himself in the bottom of the boat to understand that if everything falls apart and he dies, then he's okay with that because at least he's not in Nineveh. Can we grasp the, the depth of that? This is a man that God spoke to, gave a specific purpose, and he runs and is so scared of it that he's okay dying in the bottom of a boat if it means he doesn't have to go do what God's called him to do. That, that's hard for me. Maybe that's something that you know, you've read and you're like, yeah, I'm okay with that. That's tough. Because I think there's a lot of us that are doing that, sitting in the bottom of that boat, and we're going, you know what, God, like, just end it. I'm ready. I'd rather not fight anymore. Like, you can just kill me, I'll be there with you, and it'll be fine. And, you know, maybe in a thousand years of eternity, everything will be okay, and we won't worry about this whole boat thing that happened. And that's what he's doing. He's literally, he's literally hiding himself and going, you know what? It's better for you to die. The boat goes, so will I. That's fine. And as he's in this belly of the ship and everything is falling apart, people are crying out to God, begging for hope. Verse 7, they said to one another, come, let us cast lots. That we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. I think you feel like Jonah at that point. Like, the ship's falling apart. You're like, all right, we've got to cast lots. It's the only way. And you're like, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> no, I'll draw a straw anyways. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Surprise. <laughs> then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And what people are you? Get a little upset. And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And then get this, the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew, this is the craziest part, for the men knew that he was fleeing the presence of the Lord because he had told them. They knew. Like, here's this guy, Jonah, and he's hiding the ship out there. going, so what are you doing? He's like, oh, fleeing the presence of the Lord. God's called me to do this thing, but I'm going to go the other way. And the crazy thing is, all the dudes in the boat are like, oh, okay, yeah. That sounds great. Let's, let's all flee together. Perfect. Until this storm comes and threatens to break the boat apart, and a light bulb goes off, and they go, whoa. So this is what that fleeing the presence of the Lord thing means for you. Death for all of us. And they get fearful. And scared. But again, there's purpose in the storm. <coughs> Guys, listen, I'm just going to be honest with you. There are a lot of people who come here who are good about giving about 50% of themselves and the other 50% that they hold on and control and refuse to give lead into places like this. Because we're willing to give a little bit of ourselves as long as it's safe for us. As long as we can still feel like, you know, we're maybe the, the balance beam is this wide instead of this wide. But we can still walk that. 
We can still control it. As long as we're okay, then we don't have to worry about taking that next step. But God is actually commanding and asking and demanding us to take that whole step. And when we don't, it leads to things like this. And these storms come, and this control happens, and we freak out because everything's falling apart around us, and then we ask God where he is, and we wonder what the heck is happening. Until that moment of repentance that Jonah had, and we go, I'm Hebrew, and I follow the Lord, who controls all of this. And isn't it interesting, in that same moment, when things are falling apart because we're supposed to take this step and we don't, that we start quoting verses out of context to make ourselves feel better. Anybody, y'all, y'all follow that train of thought with me? How many times have you been going through a bad day and somebody walks up like, I got this coffee mug with Jeremiah 29 11 on it. So I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans for good, not for evil. And we're like, oh, thank you, thank you for that. Thank you for that. Because that lady that I've been gossiping about at work um, and destroying her character to my bosses so I can get ahead, she's really been testing me lately. Well, that relationship... That I'm trying to force God's hand, and I just I know, I know that he'll be mine one day. But he doesn't follow Jesus, and um, he's angry all the time and does drugs. But I know, I know that God has him for me. He's really testing me right now. Or you know, I got this huge alcohol problem. I can't stop drinking, and throwing stuff at walls, and it's really hard for me. But but I know God has a plan for me. And so we quote this verse. We see in Isaiah 53, here's another good verse, right? It was the Lord's plan to crush him. <coughs> Talking about Jesus. I was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. And we go, well, Jeremiah 29, 11. For another plan to have you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to good, not for evil. But here's what we miss. In that verse in Jeremiah, that prophetic statement to the people is because they are in exile, being destroyed, and hurt. And their lives are being demanded of them. And they're in slavery. And they have no power, no authority. And the only thing they have is to trust. And this is God's reminder that you can trust him in the midst of that. And so as Jonah has this storm, as they're in exile, as we're going through trouble and hard times because we're fighting what God has called us to, that is when the practical application of verses like Jeremiah 29, 11 come in. It's when everything is faltering and you have nothing, nothing left. God says, but wait. I know the plans I have for you. To prosper you, not to harm you. It's God saying that it's not something you put on a coffee mug. It's something you hold on to when you're down to the very last, last breath of life that you have. The last bit of hope that you contain in your soul. God says, remember this. I'm in control. I know the plan I have for you. But here's a problem we ask, well, does God speak to his people? Does God actually care what I have to say? Absolutely. But we've got to get our hearts and our thoughts right, because what we do is we don't realize that God is not asking to be an escape valve in your life. God is not interested in us running, throwing ourselves in the bottom of the boat, and then when everything is coming against it, the ship is about to break, then we go, oh God, um, I repent, yeah, I follow you, I'm sorry. He's not interested in being an escape valve. He's not interested in being an assisting agent when things go wrong that we then go, oh, you're right, I can't do this. Uh, yeah, let me, let me look at you for help. That's not, that's, that is so, guys, the, the tiny little bit of what God offers you. 
Like, is God faithful for you to do what you want? And then in your last moments, your last dying breath, be like, hey, God, save me. And absolutely, he will. Sure. Yep. No doubt. But that's not the fullness of God's purpose and what he has and wants for you in your life. Like, this story would have been a lot easier if Jonah just would have gone and taken the 200-mile land track. He wouldn't have had to spend all that he had. He wouldn't have had to run. He wouldn't have had to get on a boat and then be tossed into a sea and, as we're going to read in a little while, get swallowed by a fish. If he just would have done what God asked him to. So can you do that? Can you go your whole life and just eventually be like, ah, oh, God, you know, whatever, yeah, here it's down. Yep. Will you be in heaven? Yep. Deep on the cross, absolutely. But do you want to live a life where your entire life is valued by you, your concern and your worry and your lack of control and your hurt and your pain and wasting all you have? Like, is, is that the fullness of, of this life that, that God has given us? I, I don't think it is. But that's why it's so important that God is not just an escape valve, a band-aid to stop the bleeding. That's why he offers so much more of himself than that to you and to me. That's why he, he demands this full repentance of our control and our attempts to manipulate our will into his. By saying things like, I just feel like God wants me to hand. Whatever that is for you. Whatever your hand is, I should have done that. No. This is why a correct theology of who God is and who we are and scope of that is so important. Because we don't get to spend time deciding who God is based on our emotional response. I'm sorry. I can go, I can go and stand in front of my house and just wish it would be a mansion filled with gold and chrome and all other things that I want. It shows you I haven't thought a lot about that. Or I can go stand in front of my car and be like, I wish you were a Ferrari. I feel like I deserve a Ferrari. I work so hard. Right? You can go to Myrtle Beach and wish you were in the Bahamas or Fiji. You're not there. You're at Myrtle Beach. I don't know. So why is that so clear to understand here, but not when we talk about who God is? It's the very thing that Jonah messed up in this one, this first six verses of the book. Is that he attempted to manipulate God's will based on who he wanted God to be instead of who God actually is and what God says. And, and that causes trouble. See, the first part of the story of Jonah is actually kind of a warning. All right, like I'm, again, I say this a lot. Like The Bible is not a book where you're going to read every single time. Like, I feel great about myself today. Sometimes it should challenge you. You should come to church and feel challenged when you leave. That something inside of you needs to die so Jesus can bring something else to life. And when you read this, it, it, it takes away the opportunity for us to say things like, well, my God would never know. Oprah theology, I like to call it. I'll never, I saw an interview like probably eight or ten years ago now. It was with Joel Osteen, who I also have certain affections for. <laughs> and she asked a question about if God really will judge people, like if hell is real. And the 
hugely successful pastor looked at her and said, well, you know, I just, I don't know. I don't think that's anything for us to talk about. I think God is God. And, and I know he's love. And Oprah's response was, well, I know my God wouldn't do that. And I thought, Oprah, wrong God. You've missed, oh, I don't know, 92% of the entire Bible. Because we don't get to decide who this perfect God would be and then thrust the Bible in and go, well, I like pages uh, 8 through 20 and 2000 through 2004, but the rest of that uh, doesn't fit in my view of God. But that, that's exactly what Jonah does. Jonah gives him, or God gives Jonah a very clear directive, go do this, and God, Jonah's like, eh, I don't know if my God would have me do that. I'm going to go this way and get a boat. <laughs> Sounds better. And it ends with Jonah being in the middle of this ship that's beaten apart and getting destroyed, and everyone going, what is your problem for him to finally go, you know what? You're right. Here, let's keep reading. Here's Jonah's response. He said to them, pick me up. No, I'm sorry, verse 11. They said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? And I love this. And the sea grew more and more tempestuous. <laughs> so what do we do, Jonah? What do we do with you? And the sea gets worse. Like, oh, that might be a clear answer. Again, reassigning the call that God placed on Jonah. God speaks through the, through the wind and the sea. And it gets louder and bigger. It's almost like God's like, hey, y'all. No, you don't follow me, but I'm going to make the wind a lot worse so you can see maybe what you should do. And Jonah responds and says this. Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. And the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. So these guys sit down with Jonah. And they go, hey, what should we do? The wind grows, the sea gets harsher, and Jonah goes, you know what, this is it, just, just throw me out. Like, honestly, just pick me up, throw me into the sea. I, I, I did something that I normally don't do last night. Pray. No, I'm just kidding. Good, we're still out there. All right. I, I have this ability to make more people in my life mad because I don't watch movies. And I haven't seen movies that many, I already have friends from my small group shaking their heads. Many movies that you've probably seen that I haven't, and one of those was The Truman Show, and I like Jim Carrey, and I was like, I'm going to watch The Truman Show. So I sat last night and watched The Truman Show. And it was amazing, if you haven't seen it, I'm about to ruin it, so uh, it's been out for 18 years, get over it. <laughs> he's, he's taking this little sailboat out to get escape this city, and all of a sudden, this huge storm comes, and you can see there's this director who's kind of making everything happen, and this ecosystem bubble they've created for the show, and he's like, oh, put the wind up until the wind grows. It's like, oh, make the storms higher. Make the waves bigger. And as, as he continues to push through, and it's almost to the end, where he would discover that he was on this show his whole life and everything is fake, the director of the show says, bump it all the way up. And the people who are making things happen, look at me go, that, that'll kill him. Like, that's, that's not good. That will be the end of him. And they said, we're going to watch him die on live TV. And the director's response is, well, he was born on live TV. Like, oh, man. There's this huge wave that comes. And looks like it's going to overtake him and destroy him. And that, it, it's so interesting that I chose to watch that last night. Didn't mean to speak about this, because I didn't know what the movie was about. 
But that's exactly what happens here. They go, well, what should we do with you? And the waves grow, and the wind gets more angry, and the storm gets more tempestuous. And Jonah says, throw me out into that. Just throw me out into that. Certain death. It's my fault. And then because it's a bunch of men, verse 13 happens. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. Great, okay, one quick mile. <laughs> but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. These men who are calling out to multiple gods in fear are now calling out to the God Yahweh, Jehovah, creator of the universe. And they say, oh God, we, we get your power is legit. We are with you. Please don't throw us because of this man. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased its raging. And the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. See, it's amazing that things like Jeremiah 29, 11 are right. God does know the plan he has for you. It is a plan to prosper you and not to harm you. But the reality of moments like that is that you have to know that the moment that you're in the boat and the storms are coming and you're losing hope is because God's plan hasn't failed yet. Because it won't. And sometimes storms make you feel like there's nothing left when it's actually God doing the very thing to work to take care of you. And to put you right where he wants you, when he wants you, how he wants you, for his glory. And it might be painful. It might hurt a little bit. But the reality of what we learn in this first chapter of Jonah is that the heart of your father is not to throw you into a sea and to destroy you, but is to utilize you so that he might be glorified and you might be fulfilled. But that comes with understanding who God is and who we are. See, we, we can't even get into the belly of the fish part. We can't get to the Sunday school area of this book without understanding that. That Jonah is actually responsible for us running away instead of running to. Because when we run away, this is the kind of stuff that happens. And it took Jonah almost being destroyed with a ship full of people to repent. And to go, you know what, I know this is because of me. So what does this mean for us? And Rod, you guys can come on up. See, here's, here's what's tough. All right, we're just going to... I spoke a lot about Jonah. Hadn't really hit us hard. But get ready. See, some of us, some of you, me, know exactly what it is God's calling you to. Exactly. And I can give 55 examples, or you can just know whatever is in your heart right now at this moment that you're thinking of is exactly what that thing is. Okay? We know exactly what God's calling you to. But, do 
you convinced yourself that you found the boat in Joppa's Bay over here. And you go, well, maybe that's my out. Like, I know God's calling me to this, but there's this boat. I'll just take that and go. And, and you, you're convincing yourself that God is giving you a chance to run away instead of run to. Instead of running to his protection and to his purpose and to his will, we're running away from it because we want our purpose and our control and our will. I got news for you. You want to be in the grasp of the Lord? You want to be in his hand? You want to follow his will? Sometimes that means you have to repent of that and stop. Stop. Sometimes it's as easy as just stop. And we, we've gotten ourselves to a point, guys, where we are more interested in being faithful to our own will than what he calls us. when we do that and we are faithful to ourselves and we're convinced that God's given us this boat to get away if we want to speak in those terms when things go hard and go awry and are tough we convince ourselves that it's God judging us and being angry at us instead of understanding that maybe it's maybe it's the exact opposite that maybe it's the way that God is bringing you back into the fold after your time away Instead of being faithful and that hard thing you've convinced yourself is a way out, maybe you need to take a moment today and repent and follow the way that He has given you. And sometimes that means you have to get rid of your own sense of control. Because here's your storyline you're born, you've lived up to this point been given a call of some sort that you know in your heart, but maybe it's not so comfortable. Maybe it's that you have to put yourself down and go into this city that God has called you into and do some things that are uncomfortable. I think Jonah was excited about going to a city called Nineveh and speaking about the evil of it. Is that comfortable? Now listen, I'm not telling you to go downtown Greenville and shout at people or TR. Don't do that. In fact, if you do, don't say you're from our church. Please. But maybe God is calling you to sacrifice some things, to take steps into relationship with people and places and things that you have to trust him instead of trusting your own self. And maybe that's not easy. But God's purpose and his call is not to put you in a boat that he destroyed anticipating death. His purpose is to use you as a tool and a beacon of hope. So maybe you receive that call. It might not be as big as jumping into ministry or whatever you might be considering in your heart. Maybe, maybe it's that you need to go to somebody apologize. It could be that easy. It could be as easy as you not worrying so much about what someone else would say and do and just forgive. To have a conversation. Maybe it's to love someone different. Maybe it's just to sacrifice your own good for the sake of someone you might not even know. 
Maybe it's to give. Maybe it's to take steps and go take care of somebody that you know needs help. I don't know. But if your answer thus far has been to run, and you're surprised where you are, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to beg you, stop. 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 Stop doing everything your own way. Stop. Because all it's going to do is lead to death and frustration and pain and hurt. And can you be on the back end of your life in the last moments and say, God, forgive me? Will he be faithful? Absolutely. But there's a way to do that without being in the belly of a boat going the wrong way. And it's easy to run when our, our fear is not of God, but of ourselves or other people. Or even the fear of sacri being sacrificial. Or even the fear of not being in control. Or we're angry. Or we resent people. Or we think life isn't fair for us. Someone's going to ask you, stop. Stop running. Stop lamenting the things that you know you can control, but you just won't give them up. Stop holding on to the things that you know are comfortable because of how much they hurt, and you're scared that if you let them go, you don't know what will fill that gap. Stop. Stop running. Sit down, make a list, and ask God to move. And stop saying no to God. I don't know what your ship in Java is, but I know that God has a plan. And it is to prosper you and not to harm you, but you might need to take a step that changes those things. And so if that's you today, I want you to do that. I'm going to pray and I worship close church out today. And I'm so excited for next week. You'll hear more about that later in the week. But I beg you, please stop running. God, hey, I hope you enjoyed today's message and that you feel so encouraged by who God is and who he thinks and knows you are as well. If you have any questions about our church or our ministry, you can check us out at trailside.church. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have an incredible, incredible day.